This is Metal Mike, and this episode of the 80s Glam Metal Cast is called Kiss Classic Folklore. The Kiss Wizard, Bob Nash, joins us again, and he gives his expert opinion on all that's discussed. First up, we talk about Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, and we listen to an interview I did with voice actor Michael Bell. Now, Michael replaced Peter Chris's voice in the movie, and we get the whole story from him, and we analyze it all. Next up is Wesley Beach, guitarist for the Plasmatics. He gives us an inside view of the Creatures of the Night tour, and he also talks about working with Gene on the first Wendy O. Williams solo album. Then we end it off with a fun one. Did Kiss wear love gun costumes at the beginning of the Creatures of the Night tour? I don't know if you ever heard that one before, but it's an interesting discussion. Well, hey, I don't know if you noticed, I got a sweet Kiss Dynasty shirt on. I got it from Old Rock Tees. Go to oldrocktees.com and use the promo code METALCAST10. All kinds of cool designs from Kiss, Queen, Motley Crue, and more. So check it out. You know, another thing I was thinking that maybe Old Rock Tees could use a jingle. That might help them sell some shirts. Let me try one out. La was made for wearing Old Rock Tees. Oh, I'm not sure if that worked, but you know what does work? This episode, it kicks ass. Check it out. Well, Bob, we're back on the 80s glam model cast, man. Third time's a charm. How's it going? It's going great, Mike. It's going great. It's uh, it's an honor to be here, and thank you for the, uh, the $10 uh, gift card for Burger King. I appreciate that. <laughs> Well, yeah, man, you're welcome. You know, you can get you can get a lot off that dollar menu with the the ten. You know, <laughs> but hey, in all seriousness, man, people love the last episode that we did. Uh, I don't know if they love you, if they love me, if they love Kiss. I don't know, man, but it was working. So I figured, hey, we got to do at least one more. So let's kind of start where we get to like 1977, 1978. And one thought that I was having was that KISS is really kind of becoming more of a brand or business um, versus a band. What do you think about all that? It's true. You know, a lot of the diehards say that, you know, they kind of, they kind of lost their fandom just around Destroyer for, for KISS. A lot of people did. And, it's you know, the people that were there for Alive and those first, you know, three records or, or whatnot – um, you know, and, and a lot of your diehards just look at Destroyer like, okay, now they're they're watering it down. They're not dangerous. They're you know, they're starting to uh, they're starting to actually do something. It's hard to it's it's hard to put that in words because I came on board in '76. Right. They, they they are superheroes. They look like real life superheroes. I was just watching the Paul Lynn Halloween special with my kids and trying to explain to them just what that meant to me and how and and, and what it did. You know that started my fandom, and and it was, it, and I've never looked back since. But yeah, nineteen seventy seven, seventy eight, they they were becoming family entertainment. They really were, and um, they were everywhere. You could go into a, you could go into any store and buy a poster, a belt buckle, a doll, any kind of merchandise. And I I don't remember any other band that was like that. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? I really don't remember a lot of bands that were like that at that point. They were on the cover of every flipping magazine. That you could find, there was no shortage of kiss. It was ev- it was everywhere. But yeah, they they were definitely they were definitely at their peak. And they were were they overexposed? Oh yeah, they were they were definitely overexposed at that point. They weren't dangerous. No. So that, no. that and that's that's how I would that that would that would be my takeaway with that. 
Yeah, and you know, I think it, and when you start at that point, you can kind of see this is where we start bringing in, you know, ghost players. This is where, you know, we've mm-hmm. got multiple, you've got double live album. we got a double greatest hits. we got four solo albums. Yeah. So, so it really, we're pushing out a lot of product, and it's almost like it doesn't even matter who's on the product as long as the faces are Kiss. Exactly. So one of the moves that some people find questionable and some people love uh, is Phantom of the Park. I mean, I love Phantom of the Park. What do you think, Bob? I thought it was a great move for the band. Um, being that it, uh, that many people tuned in to watch that, sure. I thought it was fantastic. And I thought it was, I thought it was the right step for them at the time. You know, the end result, the product, what we saw, I mean, honestly, in 77, I really don't remember, I'm sorry, in 78, I really don't remember it being as cheesy as it is now. And it's just <laughs> called classic. And, and, you know, maybe it was just my mindset. You know, I think I was nine years old. Um, but I really don't remember it being as that bad back then. The band looked at it differently. I mean, you remember there was Phantom of the Park uh, souvenir magazine that came out, and they were basically just building this up and selling this to you, and, like, this is what we're going to do. There's going to be another one down the road. Gene said that, mm-hmm. and that's in, that's in that magazine. Um, they were all basically excited to be acting. And they all comp- and, and every one of them compared Kiss to the Beatles in in mm. in that magazine. Mm-hmm. So was it, was it a bad move? It did alienate a lot of fan base. I have one friend that's a diehard fan, and he said he checked out. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. it. To him, it was an embarrassment. They shouldn't have done it. Um, but he and he doesn't he doesn't see why they would why they would do it. But then this is the same guy that went a year later to see Dynasty, and then thought you know that loved the tour, but thought the album was just you know too poppy yeah yeah so what can you what can you do you can't please everybody no but they i think they i think they hit the nail on the head and i think if they were you know if they were aiming to get more kids you know drawn into the kiss army i think they succeeded personally yeah i really do so there's a lot of goofy things you know when it comes to this movie you know uh they always make comments about how you know like the Ace's stunt double is I think he's African American or something but it's very it's very clear that it's not Ace or whatever you know that, that comes up a right. lot and one of the big ones is Peter Chris's voice Peter Chris's voice was replaced um by a voice actor uh obviously that wasn't common knowledge at the time but uh, a voice actor did his voice and that guy is Michael Bell I've got an exclusive clip. I've talked with Michael. So what we'll do is we'll roll the clip of Michael talking about his uh, interaction with uh, Phantom of the Park. And then we'll kind of dissect it and talk about it. Does that sound like a plan? Sure. Sure. Sounds great. Okay. Well, Michael, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How you doing tonight? I'm doing good. This is a good call. Thank you. Oh, great. I really appreciate you doing it. Let's jump right into it. So Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. What an epic film, right? What an odd film that was. <laughs> with with cat, people in, in, in uh, gorilla outfits climbing the side of the, of the, uh, uh, the thrill ride. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely unique. So if people don't know, back in 1978, rocker Peter Chris he wouldn't show up for uh, looping to fix any imperfections in the sound uh, recordings of his dialogue. So uh, he doesn't show up, and you get the call. Did this seem kind of bizarre to get a call like this? Yeah, uh, I, and I had no idea why they had me do it. I, I understood at the time that there was something uh, in his voice or some so his delivery, whatever it was, uh, it didn't work, and so they called me, and you know, I, I wasn't that familiar with Kiss, but uh, I did show up, and uh, 
and just uh, wound up uh, doing ADR, wound up dubbing it. Now, was this this had to be tough because basically you're trying to sync up the words so they fit perfectly with the with the visuals that oh, they yeah. recorded. They had to be very tough. Yeah, that's what we do. Um, that's what all of us do. Those of us that do voiceover, it's, we we do that stuff all the time. And it sounded like you did your best to kind of impersonate his uh his new york accent right to some degree yeah i had to because uh, you want to keep it as close to him as possible i've done that for a lot of uh, film stars over a period of time I used to do it for commercials when there were problems uh and then I've, I've done it for a couple of film stars in the past sometimes i've done almost half a movie oh wow uh during this whole process did you meet any of the other members of kiss or any of their management oh, during God. this no 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 and what's interesting is he didn't I don't think he needed to approve it for whatever reason. I guess he didn't have that kind of cloud or knew it was going to go happen. Because normally, you, 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 if you're working with a major celebrity, you have to have their approval. Somebody I know does uh, Al Pacino, but Al Pacino had to hear him to make sure that he sounded like him mm-hmm. when, when he does certain things. And there, there's some brilliant big movie stars that can't come back for it, and they, they have to get their approval of the person who's uh, imitating their voice. Now, you were... Obviously, an insider at Hanna, Hanna Barbera. Did uh, did they look at Kiss as like a property that could be a very profitable partnership? Did you ever hear anything about that part of it? No, nothing at all. No, no we're you know we're we're um, <coughs> spokes in the wheel, as it were. You know, we're actors bring us in, we're jobbers, do the job. As Spence Chase used to say, you know, hit our mark. Do our do our hinge and then leave. Understood. So probably you probably have no information on this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So a lot of us Kiss nuts heard it was confirmed that Hanna Barbera was going to make a Kiss cartoon. Sure, probably a year after the movie. Did you ever hear anything about that or no? Nothing. Nothing at all. (laughs) (laughs) I figured so. Did they make a cartoon? No. Well, it sounds as though there were some, uh, you know, early designs to do one and then they pulled the plug. I think they were feeling they were going toward the wrong audience, you know, the young audience. So Yeah. It's, uh, you know, the point is that if it was lucrative, they would have done it. You know, they they did, I did shows like um, Snow White meets the Harlem Globetrotters. Uh, I mean, the goofiest concept that then schmoozing out of space, you know, really silly stuff. So I don't know why they wouldn't do Kiss, but maybe they couldn't get a license or something. Could be. When you watch this movie as you're, you're doing the dialogue, I mean, did you think at the time that this was kind of a ridiculous movie or what did you think of it? Oh, yeah. I thought it was as dumb as a box of rocks. Thought, what the heck is this? What the, you know, and I usually don't, I don't have an opinion. <clears throat> at the time, because it's hard to tell when you're looking at uh, stuff the way it's chopped up, the way it's burdened, but it just it just seems so goofy. Then when I saw those guys in gorilla outfits, I said, "Oh my God, is this going to go? Is this going to come out and go back in and shame?" <laughs> but you know what? With so what, I, what I didn't expect, I I didn't expect that people knew because I don't think it's in the credits. No, it doesn't say Michael Bell voice. People said to me, "You're the voice of Peter Chris." I said, "How would you know that?" How does anybody? How does anybody listen and say, "Oh, you know, yeah, I know who that is." That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I never knew it, and I was going to get to this. I'm 44, so I didn't see it when it was aired on TV, um, but I had it on VHS during the 80s, and I can remember yeah. watching it and thinking, like, oh, something, something sounds kind of familiar about Peter's voice here, but I, I couldn't, you know, I didn't think much of it. And then Kiss put out like a, a documentary, I want to say in the early 90s, and they said, well, Peter didn't show up, so we just had some guy do his voice. And then I think that was when I put it together because 
Um, obviously, you're the voice of like my childhood. You know, we can go through it. I mean, Super Friends, Transformers, Credible Hulk, GI Joe. I mean, you you did them all. So I was very familiar with your voice. And then I think once I heard it wasn't his voice, and I started to put it together. So I think that's how a lot of people knew because you have a very recognizable voice. Yeah, which is why it's very difficult for me to make um, obscene phone calls because people <laughs> will know. <laughs> Do you have a favorite character that you voiced over the years? Oh, yeah, of course. I think we all do. Uh, I loved doing two characters, particularly uh, the characters for Rugrats, mm-hmm. uh, Grandpa Boris, the Jewish grandpa, and uh, Chucky's dad, Chaz, were my two favorite characters I think I'd ever done. And then uh, for um, a full length, I did uh, A Wish for Wings that were for uh, um, Spielberg, and it's uh, the role of Opus, which is just really super which robin williams i wasn't with robin when he got arrested so but he has a voice in there in dustin hoffman and i played opus the lead character and that was really great i think for me probably my favorites are i think you kill it as dr banner uh, on the incredible hulk um uh, duke okay. obviously on gi joe you, i mean you're pretty much the main hero on gi joe and uh right even with the villains, uh, I noticed that when you do like Dr. Octopus or the Riddler, I really like how you get into that high, a little bit higher tone, but it's still wicked, you know? Yeah, that's, uh, that's always a, the, the hardest, I think, if anybody's ever interested. I did a, I did a The Inhumanoids, and I was, uh, a character, main character was Blackthorn, which was a really deep voice, which is difficult for me because I, I don't have that kind of voice. I really had a really fight to get down there because he was a big guy. And then I had to play one of the creatures because they, they got you, in those days, they got you for three voices. So I, I had to play a secondary voice, a secondary voice. And the inhumanoid I played did nothing but growl and spit and cough up God knows what. And it sounded like that. It was a lot of, yeah, you Oh my God, I'm never going to survive this. That's awesome. Well, you know what? With KISS fans, Michael, you're always going to be remembered as the voice of Peter Chris. And as cheesy as the movie is, the fans eat it up and and, uh, it's a cult classic. All of us nuts, we all know all the lines and all that stuff. So (laughs) That's cool. That's cool. If uh, somebody wanted to uh, get you to do a voice, uh, how did they get a hold of you? They contact they contact um, uh, my agent at EVO, okay. uh, Sandy Snar at EVO, and handles that. Uh, I'm, and now I'm teaching again. I started I start teaching November fifth, uh, and on a Zoom. So I have uh, eight students on Zoom. That's awesome. Well, Michael, hey, I yeah. really appreciate your time. This was definitely a blast uh, from the past for me, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're just ordinary human beings wow that was pretty wild man not only obviously is michael you know he did peter chris's voice but man he did some kick-ass uh, cartoon voices that i love too david banner uh gi joe i mean the guy's done some cool stuff yeah the, the, the man's an icon he's a legend in the business it's amazing hearing him hearing his voice it really is it's it's actually uh it's actually creepy because my god i mean wow that's that's quite a body of work that guy you know michael is that he he really has uh he's pretty much done it all yeah you know he really has but one thing that i I, at least for me and i'm going to speak for myself i've always gone with the story that kiss has told me in their infamous 1992 extreme close-up and they said you know peter did not show up for looping and so because there were so many spotty pieces that with audio wasn't good they just decided to replace his whole voice 
uh, with Michael Bell's voice. And I, and I bought into that one hook, line, and sinker. Now, Michael's basically saying in this that, hey, uh, somebody, I don't know if it was the producer, the director, someone didn't like the way he delivered his lines. They didn't like his delivery. And they pretty much just scrapped his audio and, and put Michael's in. What do you think about all that, Bob? Yeah, that's, well, I mean, the fact that they replaced his voice, that's true. The extreme close-up, you know, comments from Gene or Paul. It was, a, I think it was Paul. Peter didn't show up for Luke. I think so. Um, so it, it, it's just, it goes, yeah, it's like either he doesn't remember it or he doesn't want to remember it. <laughs> or maybe they just forgot. See, the thing is about a lot of these guys, it's like sometimes they're just wrong when it comes to certain things of history. Like they don't remember it the way they should. Maybe, maybe at the time, because then, you know, they weren't getting along with Peter. Maybe they remember it differently. But to say he didn't show up for looping, looping had nothing to do with it. Michael Bell showed up for looping and he did Peter's voice. Right. So that's probably why Peter didn't show up because he didn't know there was looping going on. I've asked this question numerous times because this has all come to light, you know, in, in, in recent years. But Bill Coyne was one of the first ones at a, at a convention when he did a Q&A and someone asked him about Peter's voice. And he said, yeah, we, you know, I, we basically his Brooklyn accent. And it said something about, a, you know, his accent and a, like a lisp. Mm, okay. This didn't come across clear. It was too, too Brooklyn-y or what, whatever, too street. I really don't remember the exact, uh, you know, thing he said. But he was the one that told Peter they were going to go over and redo his voice. Whatever reaction he got from Peter, I really don't remember. I recall asking Gene the same question, you know, at a sit-down, and I asked him flat out. I said, Peter didn't show up for looping, but you guys replaced him with, you know, a cartoon character guy, you know? And mm-hmm. and he said, that's true. I'm like, so was he supposed to be there during this guy or to coach him into what he was saying? Because Michael nailed it. I mean, most kids, if they've never heard Peter Chris talk, and Phantom of the Park was their first time hearing him talk, you assumed that was Peter Chris. <laughs> right. yeah. You did. Now you have YouTube, and I and I... And, and, for those out there that really want to hear Peter Chris in Phantom of the Park, there is a clip, a clip on YouTube. Yes. It's the, the Phantom of the Park bumper. Yep. That is the only time you're going to hear Peter Chris's actual voice is in the bumper. And it's readily available on YouTube. Um, but they all remember it differently. Uh, it's been in uh, C.K. Lent's book where he said that, um, you know, he was on set that day. That was their one of their business guys. Peter's voice didn't come across great. And I think it was the, the director that uh, suggested it, too, that they replace it. Hmm. And it's kind of funny they replace it too when you think about the bullshit they gave Ace to say. Right. Act. Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so that came across great. I mean, they made Ace sound ridiculous. I mean, granted, I mean, I still love it. I love it. Don't get me wrong. Me too. Gene, Gene roared, <laughs> you know, and occasionally he would talk, but Paul and Gene sounded, you know, like more like businessmen and things, and, and, you know, and yeah. the lines that they were given. But seriously, you would have Ace go, act. You know, I mean, come on. You're saying Peter was that bad? I don't believe it. Yeah. But whatever. We can't we can't we can't change it. It's not like uh they're gonna go back and redo it. No. You know, they don't own they don't own they don't own the rights to it, you know. Right, right. <laughs> that is a common thread. Um but some of the things that, that kinda that I'm just getting some thoughts in my head about all this. So number one thought was that at the time in nineteen ninety two it, I don't think they really cared for Peter much at that point. I mean, he wasn't mm-hmm. in the band. You'd think they would just kind of throw a dig at him and say, hey, 
his voice sucks, so they replaced it. You know what I mean? But they didn't. Yeah. They they told a story, like you said, either it was remembered wrong or it's just it's yeah. not a factual story. Um, that's one thing that comes to mind with it all. And you know, another thing that Michael says about looping is I think he made a, a comment where he said, hey, you know, if there was something that needed to be fixed, a guy like me just comes in and fix those parts and I imitate the guy's voice. So, right. if, if, so if there really was a looping problem, like I said, he would have gone in and fixed those few little spots that were bad and then we'd have kept Peter's audio in there for the rest of the movie. So, you know, a lot of these things don't add up. And another thing that, that was kind of strange is when he said, the guy must not have had a lot of clout. Did you catch that part? And Because he, he was saying that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't have a lot. Yeah, he probably didn't have a lot of call because he was probably on the outs with the guys in the band at the time. Yeah, you know, it was no, it was no secret that you know Peter and Ace were pretty unhappy on set. You know, four a.m. and you know sitting in makeup all day, and I couldn't even imagine what that's like. But Ugh. honestly, there's a reason Michael Bell is uncredited on that. Right. Banner of the Park. Go back and look. He's uncredited. Yep. He's not in the credits. There's a reason they kept that secret, and it's amazing. That they, like you said, they would come out with this bullshit story in extreme close-up, which was just a you know a bonafide script they were probably reading. That you know to tell the story about you know how Peter walked away from it all, and you know he could have had it all, and, and and but he didn't want to be a team player, and you know and a lot of that's true to an assert, to a certain extent. But to sit there and say to dog him that he was just unreliable and didn't show up, yeah, right? It just it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up, but. Again, that was, you know, Paul and Gene telling the story. So yeah. we kind of know where that's going. And another part of Peter it is, Christ, it, yeah. who really gives a shit if his voice sounds weird anyways? Like I said, it's a B-movie, played once yeah. on TV. It's not some kind of award-winning, you know, Oscar-nominated thing. I it's mean, not Legends of the Fall, Mike. It's not <laughs> Legends of the Fall here. So I mean, he sounds like shit. <laughs> it does sound like that's crazy. I, I, I mean, know. honestly, you're a nine-year, nine-year-old kid, ten-year-old kid <laughs> in 1978 watching your favorite rock band take on, you know, a supervillain. What do you care what his voice sounds like? Exactly. I mean, no one cared when Gene talked and Ace act and you know, and yeah. Paul did the the hand wave and then let's go. You know, no one cared. Oh. It was awesome. It was Kiss in 1978. They were on top of the world. They could do no wrong. That was the only time that I can honestly remember my family sitting sitting down and watching something together. Mm-hmm. Because it was that big of a deal, you know? But, hey, yeah, I just, it's the whole Peter Chris voice. It, it pisses me off knowing the truth nowadays. And, you know, honestly, when, when I met Peter a couple of years ago in London, you know, and I had a couple minutes to ask him, basically, I, I you know, went down this line of these quick, uh, you know, questions and you know this q a with him and i said your voice on fan of the park he goes that's not me i said why isn't he goes they didn't like it mm. and that's all he said and that was it so i mean he, he's well aware of it and i mean he, he lived it yeah so but makes no sense to me mike and you know one more thing on this how do you get that far into the movie and realize that you don't like the guy's voice hmm. right you would you do the entire movie and then you have to record <laughs> over it what kind of budget did they have and Hanna Barbera obviously had money to spend if they were. This was going to be the movie of the week, and yeah, you know, this was Kiss. This this was a big deal, and my God, just just missteps with Phantom of the Park. It's yeah, it's 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 unbelievable. But I guess that's why we love it so much. You know? Yeah. Oh, like I said, it, it's a treat, and you know, I was really disappointed that Michael Bell had no information about the 1979 Kiss cartoon. Come on, he's <laughs> holding out on me. 
it, it's it's insane because a lot of people, you know, you can go back and again, I'll, I'll say this: like when you ask Gene something, he's either more wrong or more right, mm-hmm. or how should I say it? He's either he, he's he's right, he's wrong. It just depends on sometimes how you ask him and how he remembers it. Right. So sometimes, and, and my thing is, I've always said to myself, if I ask these guys the same question twice and they answer it the same way twice, then hey, that's good enough for that's me. That's got to be right. Yeah, exactly. It's got to be right. And and why why would he lie? I mean, you know, Gene talked about the openings. You know, the the the, the scene where he comes through the wall in Phantom of the Park and just he sat there and just told the story about it. You know, and so he remembers it. You know, he really remembers it well. Um, and he clearly said, he goes, there was, there was going to be another one. We were, we planned on doing another one. He goes, but things happened. And I'm like, wow, God, can you imagine? Uh, it's just, wow, that would have been great. Yeah. Because think about, think about all the, the holes in the movie. No one knows what really happened to Abner Devereaux <laughs> at the end. I mean, it's like the greatest mystery. And I feel bad for anybody that watches the foreign version, Attack of the, you know, Attack of the Phantoms, because it's, there's more plot holes with the editing. You're like, you, you thought the plot was bad in the original, but right. the, the stuff they edit out, you're like, oh, wow, this, well, okay. I have no idea how the, where this is going, but it's, <laughs> Kiss is in it, so I guess it's okay. Yeah. Oh, it, it's, <laughs> yeah. It, it's something else, man. It's a, it's a, right. it's a crazy movie, but it, it's a classic, and we all know the lines, and it's it's all in good fun. It's good fun. Well, hey, I, I think it's time we, uh, we jump into our next uh, topic that we want to uncover. But I think before we get into it, because it's such... It's such a can of worms, this this next one. So let's jump in our clip with Wes Beach. He's the guitar player of the Plasmatics. Uh, he opened up a, quite a few shows on the Creatures of the Night tour. He has fond memories of that, and he's got some other history moments that he was involved with. So I'm going to roll that clip. Well, Wes, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Mike. Good talking to you. Yeah, man. Thanks for your time. So... 1982, 1983, Kiss Creatures of the Night tour. Uh, you're in the Plasmatics. You guys opened a lot of shows uh, for Kiss. What are some of your memories of that tour? Well, uh, I'll tell you. For when uh, we had just finished recording our Coup d'Etat album, uh, it was produced by Dieter Dirks of the Scorpions fame, and uh, a liquor company was looking to put us out on tour you know, do some arena shows, and they were talking about bands like Judas Priest or Ozzy Osbourne, and I guess... Uh, Ozzy's wife Sharon put the kibosh on that tour because uh, she didn't want Ozzy, you know, fraternizing with Wendy. So then uh, Kiss came along and wanted us to open some shows for them on the Creatures tour. I guess it wasn't selling too good, and they wanted someone to come in there and help uh, sell them some tickets. So we we went down to uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. That was the first show on February 1st. And uh, we get there, and we see Kiss is doing their sound check, and uh, they were playing a a really hot version of Deuce, which they never played on that tour. Hmm, That's funny. But that was really good. That was my first kind of introduction to them with Vinny and Eric in the band. And so we're getting ready to to go on, and uh, Gene and Paul come into the dressing room, and they're full Kiss makeup and regalia, and they're like, uh, welcome welcome on board. And we're like, okay, this sounds good. And the whole thing was, uh, they offered us a uh, chance to get a sound check every tour, but uh, at that day we show up and uh, we're getting ready to do a sound check and Kiss kept going on longer and longer, so we never did get a sound check. <laughs> and I remember we go out on the stage and I'm running across the stage to get to my position on uh, stage right, and uh, since I didn't see the stage beforehand, I run right into one of the turrets oh. on Eric's 
stage set up and slam my chin really hard, and I hear our drummer, T.C. Tolliver, laughing real hard in the back. <laughs> so I had this huge bruise and sore leg for the duration of that show for the next couple of days afterwards. But I remember it was really, really good. Uh, they were they were great, and I watched every show that they played, and uh, we learned a lot from them about how to deal with large audiences and playing on the bigger stages. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really a lot of fun, that tour. But uh, So the next night, we thought we'd get a sound check, but no kiss went over longer, so we didn't get a sound check. And this seemed to be a pattern for the for the rest of the duration of that tour. We we never did get a sound check. Closest we got was when we got to Detroit. They said, uh, "Okay, we're done. You guys can go ahead and do your sound check." So we raced to the stage, plugged in, got ready to to uh, test out the equipment. And just then they opened the doors to the arena, and the fans started to pour it in. So we had to, of course, leave the stage. So that was a little disappointing. All in all, it was it was pretty wild tour. You know, the crowds were a little sparse in some places. Uh, some houses were less than half full. But that uh, seemed like the fans that were there were real enthusiastic. And uh, Kiss always delivered a great show. Yeah, I mean, this was one of their, uh, even though the tour, like you said, it, it wasn't uh, heavily attended. Uh, I guess in retrospect, people look back at it as one of their greatest tours with a you know, little bit of a heavier approach to the music. And, of course, you got the tank and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's looked at pretty fondly by fans. Oh, yeah, I thought, I thought it was great. And for me, that that's my favorite lineup of Kiss. I think that was their heaviest. I thought Vinny really brought a lot to the band eric was was fantastic heavy drummer and you know they, they were really at their at their peak i think at that time you know they had gone from kind of a more of a i don't know not really pop but kind of a softer metal you know you look at unmasked and uh, yep. and then they got into creatures and that was just like a total heavy metal assault then he was just you know total shredding on on uh, guitar so you figure you play you probably played some you know smaller towns and things like that. I mean, were people kind of shocked by some of the stuff like uh, like that the plasmatics were doing with Wendy and everything? Was it kind of shocking for some of these people? You think? I think it probably was. Uh, they didn't really know what to think. You know, at that time MTV was still kind of in its infancy, so they didn't really see a lot of that. So I think you know Wendy was also uh, such a powerful force, powerful singer, I and mean, she threatened a lot of people just with her image. And we used to, we used to wheel out a, a a giant pentagram across the stage, put that behind the stage, and uh, that was kind of threatening to some of them. And you know, at that time, there was a lot of protests against Kiss. All these uh, religious right right wingers came out and saying, you know, Kiss was a Satanism, and it was some crazy stuff. There were a lot of protests before the shows and things like that. Did um. Did you ever hear talk of some of the frustration about the smaller crowds? I mean, were people, did you ever hear people like, you know, the, the, the tour people mentioning that the, the tour wasn't doing so hot? Uh, no, not, not directly. I uh, didn't really, really uh, interact with them too much. But, you know, some dates were, were getting canceled right and left, too. So okay. you knew the writing was kind of on the wall for some of that. Other dates were well attended, you know, like, like Cleveland and Detroit were really good. There were some shows in Texas that did really well. It was just like some of the uh, Midwestern towns, like uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin, was kind of thin, and places like that. Now, a lot of the, ad- probably most of the advertisements showed, you know, Ace Freely was, you know, showed him as still being in the band, and then, you know, fans show up, and then, you know, there's this new guy. I mean, do you think there was some shock to some of the fans that Ace wasn't there? Oh, definitely, definitely. I'll tell you a funny story about that. When, uh, we were in Indianapolis. We were hanging out at a, at a, at a bar before the show. And I'm at the bar, and a guy comes up to me, he goes, Hey, Ace, 
great to see you. And I look at the guy and says, no, I'm not ace. Because I had, I had platinum hair. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 I know, you're ace, but, but you can't say anything. I said, no, man, I'm not ace. And he starts laughing. He goes, okay, okay. And he walks away. And then there was this uh, black guy sitting across from the bar. He comes over to me. He goes, looks right at me. He goes, you're not ace. I said, that's what I was trying to tell the guy I'm not ace. He goes, yeah, I'm a DJ, and I, I've met ace, and I know you're not ace. I says, yeah, I know that. So that, that was pretty funny. There's some uh, there's some folklore out out in uh, Kissland. I don't know if you ever heard this story, and I don't think you guys were the opening act toward the beginning of the tour. But there's there's a legend that the weather was really bad when the show the the tour started, and their costumes got stranded someplace else, and they had to fly them in some different costumes. So they the the rumor is that they played the first show in like a hy- hybrid costumes from like the Love Gun tour, but there's no photographic evidence uh, of this. You ever heard any stories? about that where, where they're having some troubles on the first couple shows no no i never never heard anything like that i, I did read that story i'm kind of familiar with that but uh, i don't have any first-hand knowledge of that and we actually opened for them for about uh a half half of the tour we went through the midwest and going down through the south and then we went back to new york we left the tour to work on our next album and after a couple days kiss called us back up and uh, kind of begged us to come back so we went back and rejoined them and toured through texas and the south and then uh, again we left them and they, then they went out west and molly crew opened for them at the end of the tour nice so the uh, your ties to history continue so there's more than just the creatures tour so when you get to uh wendy's first solo album i mean you're on that album and and gene is producing and playing bass what was that whole experience like oh uh, that was really something uh he wanted to you know he get into producing and uh I guess he, was, he really liked Wendy's style and wanted to produce her. So he he came in to the picture, and uh, he really wanted to replace the band. He wanted to put his own band together for her. Oh, really? But Wendy was really damaged about having me and, uh, and her band play with her. So it turned out it was me and uh, our drummer, T.C. Tolliver, and bassist Chris Jr. Romanelli. We were in pre-rehearsals with Gene for about two weeks. And then Chris had... Uh, little disagreement with management and left the band right before we were supposed to go into the studio so i remember remember uh you know gene turning to our manager rod blintz and looking at him and say well that's okay we weren't going to use them anyway and then uh, gene ended up playing bass on the album hmm. that's funny so that, that was pre- that was pretty cool and it was a kind of a different approach you know like i had mentioned we had just done that a record with dieter dirks in germany and he used a you know really tight fisted approach to recording and it, it really kind of whipped this into shape and then uh, when gene came in he was more laid back and so we'd just come in and kind of run through the songs once and go home work on new material things like that so it was kind of a looser atmosphere and he brought a bunch of songs to us to play and try out some uh, some songs we didn't use and then a few our songs that he kind of changed around a bit i think it worked out pretty cool he was going for you know a little more commercial approach for wendy i think and, and i think it came out uh, to a real good album yeah, definitely. Now, some of the songs were actually leftovers from Creatures of the Night. Uh, it's My Life and Legends Never Die. And there's rumors. Once again, rumors. You, you'll be able to clarify this. Some people say that it's actually Kiss playing on those songs, and they just use the demos from the Creatures of the Night sessions. Is that true, or is that false? Uh, no, that's false. And okay. the reason that uh, that I know that's false is, is if you listen to the uh, and the reason the reason that those rumors are rampant is because there's these uh, bootlegs circulating of Gene singing legends never die uh, uh, it's my life yes 
And that's really Gene singing over our backing track as a guide for Wendy to work on the vocals. Oh, okay. So if you listen to it, if you listen to them, you can hear that, you know, it's really her track. So yeah, that's totally, uh, totally a rumor. And I've spent a fortune tracking down all these bootlegs of It's My Life trying to find the Kiss version, and I have yet to find one. Really? It's okay. always the same one. It's always the same one with Gene's vocals over our track. And, oh, that's very interesting. Now, but there, there are... But I, hope, I, hope that puts, I hope that puts those rumors to rest. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a different spin on it. But uh, there are Kiss members that play on this album. Even Ace Frehley does a solo on a tune, doesn't he? Yes, yes. He came in and did the solo on Bump and Grind. And from what I understand, I wasn't there in the studio the day he came in, but from what I understand, there's... Uh, his first take was the solo they kept. He tried it a few more times, but that was the one that uh, they liked the best. That's funny. You know, with him, uh, you know, a lot of people obviously will cite Ace as an influence, but, you know, I don't think he ever really gets a ton of credit for his uh, his playing. But, you know, I think for the, the work that he does on solos it is amazing. I think it just always fits perfectly with whatever he's doing. Oh, sure. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has a, a unique style, and it's uh, definitely recognizable. Like, uh, this is Ace's solo. Yeah, definitely. Um, but then there's one more piece of history, right? You you co-wrote, you have a co-write on Love's a Deadly Weapon that's on the Asylum album. How did that come about? Well, uh, what that was was a song uh, I wrote called Party, and that was on uh, our Wendy's second solo album, Commander of Chaos. And uh, Gene was slated to produce that one as well, but... Uh, Due to some other things he had, he didn't have uh, time to work on that. So he came down to a rehearsal session and he heard the song and he said, uh, "He said, boy, I like that song. I think uh, we'll take it." So he took the song. You know, they just changed the lyrics a bit, changed the opening riff a bit, and uh, it became "Love's a Deadly Weapon." But if you listen to the song "Party" and "Commander of Chaos," that's where it came from. Oh, okay. And the funny thing about that is, I I kind of wrote that in the vein of Motorhead, so it's like a Motorhead type song. So it's a really fast-paced song for Kiss. And uh, when I went to see them on the on the Asylum tour, I talked to Bruce afterwards. He goes, "Oh, that's a really good song, but it's too fast for us to play." <laughs> That's funny. Now you seem like you've got a lot of Kiss knowledge. Did you did you like Kiss back in the day, like in the seventies? Oh yeah, yeah. I was. I liked the first the first three albums I was on board with, and I kind of went away from them for a while. Although I still, you know, I still was familiar with them, got the albums, and listened to them, and then got back into them again on Creatures, and when we did the tour, and then I kind of stayed. I followed them ever since. That's awesome. You know the funny thing about Creatures is that a lot of times, you know, at least when it was out and all the press you read from it, they always say it was a re- it's a return to form. But in reality, it's no, it's not even re- in the same ballpark as like the first three Kiss albums. You know what I mean? I guess it, the spirit's there, but musically, it's it's a totally different animal. Oh, right, right. I think it's uh, kind of light years ahead of what, what they were doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I said so when we were recording... Uh, Wendy solo album, and I remember when Eric was in the studio and he's listening to the drum tracks. And he goes, "Hey, Eric," he goes, uh, "Gene, how come my drums didn't sound like that?" Oh, and wow. he, he really liked the drum sound that Gene got on that. And another, here's another thing about uh, "It's My Life." If you listen closely to our version of it through headphones, you can actually hear Gene's uh, ghost vocals in the background because uh, we recorded a, we recorded it with uh, I had a Les Paul Jr. And Gene played an uncredited rhythm guitar track using my Les Paul Jr., and that has a single coil pickup, and that picked up his vocals through the pickup. So 
if you listen through that to headphones, you can hear Gene faintly in the background. Lots of cool insight. Wes, any other things you could think of that would be uh, useful? Any more Kiss facts? Well, I, I, I know that we did the song uh, Thief in the Night, and I, I heard that uh, when Kiss did it for their album, that uh, Paul didn't realize that uh, Wendy had done it on his, her solo album, so he was a little missed about that. <laughs> yeah, I, don't know, I don't know if that's true or not, but I've heard that. Yeah, I can imagine that. You know, and it seems like with Gene, he's kind of like this this master recycler. You know what I mean? He's always recycling tunes. He's a great writer, but um, he definitely, uh, you can always find bits and pieces of stuff. that, And he's always trying to pitch like the same songs. And then eventually it, it makes it on an album. So he's always he's always got out this arsenal of songs he's trying to get out there. So it's funny. Well, I think any any good songwriter does that. He always, you know, always has these riffs and things. And, and you can recycle them or put them to use in different ways. I mean, I know... When I write, that's kind of the same way. I might have an idea sitting around and then bring that out and that finds light of day somewhere else. Right, right. I, th- I think you have to. You know, It's kind of like a painter. You know, He's got all those different palettes of paint, and the same with the musicians. You know, you got your little bits and pieces of songs and ideas, and you know, sometimes they work here and sometimes they work there. But oh. yeah, Gene is, was a master at doing that, for sure. Oh, yeah. Now, what are you up to musically? You, you working on anything or you got anything going on? No, I'm, I'm fairly uh, semi-retired right now. I just kind of play around for my own amusement. Mm-hmm. But, you know, keep keep the fingers going. You never know what'll happen. Well, awesome, man. Hey, I'm glad that we connected on Twitter. I'm so glad that you gave some insight. A lot of cool Kiss, uh, Kiss info and Gene info. I really appreciate it, Wes. Hey, no problem. Great talking to you, Mike. So, how about that conversation with Wes? Yeah, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a local legend. Um, he, everybody knew the guy when he was at Wonderland Music. He, everybody went up there to talk to him, and he had no problem talking about you know the plasmatics and whatnot. And I remember we brought up. I think there was a magazine. I think it was called Metal Maniac. In the eighties, there was this big plasmatic uh, article, which was rare to see that um, because by that time the band was pretty much done. And there was a shot of Wes, uh, a, color, a color picture of Wes in the magazine. And I said, oh, my God, that's Wes. So me and a couple of friends, we took these magazines. We took them up to Wonderland. And he was all too happy to sign it. We sat there and talked. We talked about the Creatures Tour. We nice. talked about, you know, his collaboration with Kiss, you know, songwriting. He's, he's a good guy. He's a, he's a, and, and he's a He's a really good guitar player. He's, a, he, you know, he's a legend, man. And uh, but yeah, he's a, he's a solid guy. And you know, if if you don't have any plasmatic records, you really need to go out and get some. And because that that band that band should have been a lot bigger than what they you know the, what than what they were, you know. And he's right about um, he's right about that uh, the demo mm-hmm. when he's talking about that. It's my life. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. I didn't know that that yep. the one that's out there is actually them with Gene's vocal on it, and I was so yep. glad that he debunked the rumors of because uh, I have read a lot of yep. those rumors that the Creatures of the Night demos filtered mm-hmm. into the um, those ses- sessions, and it's just Wendy singing over Kiss's demos. So he debunked right. that, which was cool too. So he, it was some cool stuff there. And I didn't know that Gene wanted to replace all of them. I didn't know that. <laughs> that's so very Gene-like too. Yes. Just you know, go in and. Well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to change this. Why would you mess with the formula? It works. It's it's great. It's proven. They just need that. You know, in bands like them, they weren't they weren't you know bands like the Plasmatics. They they weren't writing for radio. No. You know, back at the time, they were really edgy. So to kind of polish them up and sell them to uh, the record buying public, that's a challenge because they weren't for everybody. Nowadays, something like that, my God, people would eat it up. They really would. They would really eat it up. But 
Yeah, Wes is a Wes is a good guy, man. I could talk about the guy all day long, but I'm 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 happy that he's on social media. I'm happy that he follows me and he interacts with me and 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 he has a really good you know recollection of the creature store, which is really really cool. Yeah, it's, awesome. it's always cool to hear stuff like that. Yeah, and he brought up a lot of cool points of how you know everybody looks at the tour as this disaster, but there was a lot of big shows. He mentioned a few cities that it was really big shows, so it wasn't like every show oh, yeah. was a was a flop. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's a that's a misconception about creatures too. Where a lot of people will say, "Well, the tour didn't do so well." Well, they had a lot of hot spots, right? They really did, and 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 you can't deny that. And he was right. Detroit was one of them. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of hot spots where you know they might have not sold the upper bowl or something like that. But you know, it's always like if, if a promoter gets like maybe seventy to seventy five percent, they they make their money. It's when you do like thirty forty percent where you're like, oh my god, this is the, the you know the bottom's about to fall out. <laughs> right, right. You know, but yeah. So he he remembers it well, which is really nice to hear. Well, hey, now it's time to talk about an infamous show, Bob. The show that started off the tour, Bismarck, oh, North boy. Dakota. Bob, tell everybody what the what happened at this show. What happened? Well, it was supposed to be uh, Bismarck was the basically the first the first night of the Creatures tour. It was the opening night. Uh, from what it sounds like, there's not a lot of people uh, that um, live there. It's a, it was uh, in, in in Bismarck. It's uh, it's it's not a really populated uh, city, and um, it was a really poorly attended show. But what what people got to see, and that's this is the folklore, was that Kiss allegedly performed in Love Gun costumes for the first night of the tour. And the reason for that, well, the reason being, was because their gear was stuck in Denver. Denver had a huge snowstorm, so their wardrobe girl, uh, Lori stayed with the wardrobe because the band felt that was, you know, a little maybe too important just to leave somewhere. So they had someone, you know, stay with it. And what they did, they contacted their former wardrobe girl, Pixie, who was the one that put the story out there. And, you know, and I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this just because, you know, she tells it very well, or she, you know, she flew in in a Learjet. She was asked to go to, by production manager, she was asked to go to the warehouse, pick up some clothing, and then fly by Learjet and meet them in uh, in Bismarck. And that's what she did. And she claims they were Love Gun costumes. And the kick in the ass is there's no photographic wow. evidence of that. Right. None. I've talked to people that claim they've been there. They don't claim they saw the show. And again, it, the, the amount of people that claim they were there. You know, it, 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 they would have draw. They, they would have probably had more than three thousand people there. Mm-hmm. You know that because you know, it's it's like this legend. You know this 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 Kiss folklore. It's it's almost bigger than the band now. Some people <laughs> probably don't know about it. I think it's it's the story's been out there for a while. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I found it so fascinating. I mean, I asked Gene and I asked Paul. Paul remembered it a little bit better than Gene because I think a lot of people will confuse it when they say Love Gun with that Creatures photo shoot where they were kind of wearing a little bit of Love Gun, a little bit of Elder, a little bit of Unmasked, yep. just a little bit of everything because their costumes weren't exactly ready at that point. And I think sometimes people will take, you know, that'll be their takeaway. Well, that's probably what you're thinking of. And it's kind of what I thought of. So when Gene, when I asked Gene, he said yes. Didn't say nothing else. He goes, yes, that's what we wore. 
Hmm. Didn't add anything anything else to it. Don't, no, no other insight. It was Paul, when I met him in 2015, that really kind of shed some light on it. And it was interesting because I, I had a couple of minutes, and I said, hey, Paul, I just wanted to ask you. Opening night, Creatures Tour, you guys allegedly wore love gun costumes. And he started shaking his head. He goes, yeah. I'm like, so that's true. He goes, oh, to a point. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, it wasn't really love gun. It was like a hodgepodge of things. We had a, a, a bunch of different outfits just kind of thrown together, but it wasn't love gun. It was kind of like a, 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 a mashup of costumes. And then the funniest thing is, he said to me, and I, I said, well, I, I appreciate that, Paul. I said, so you, you remember, it did happen. He goes, yeah, it happened. And then he looked at me, he goes, wait, well, how do you know that? I said, oh, yeah, that's, you know, you, you're a KISS fan. You just kind of know these things. You know, you, you make it a point to know it, then you make a point to ask about it if you ever get a chance. So I had like a two-minute a two window with the guy, so of course I'm going to use that up. I had people behind me waiting to get their picture with him, you know, if you bought a book with him. And he seemed more interested in talking about that than taking a picture with anybody <laughs> after that. So, you know, he was cool about it, but he did. He confirmed it. And that was good enough for me. Yeah. Because Pixie has told this story. The lady that brought the costumes to Bismarck, she has told this story over and over. So there's, And she tells it really, really well. So there's no reason for her to make it up. Mm-hmm. Why would she? What does she benefit from it? It happened. The fact that there's no pictures is a kick in the ass. And the one day when pictures do surface, and I firmly believe someone will buy some pictures in an estate sale and they'll go crazy, they'll go viral, they'll break the internet that day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I swear to God, the internet will shut down if those pictures surface. To see Vinny in anything but the costume that he was that, that was designed for him, right. my God. I'll take it. Yeah. Let me see it. You know, and I think you were talking to a guy that said he remembered it, but, and, and again, he said, well, Paul was wearing a jacket. I'm like, okay, well, what kind of jacket? Because during Creatures, he wasn't wearing a jacket. He was wearing that little man bra. Yeah, he never wore a jacket on Creatures, just never at the press conference. Just press conference. So when, when he said that, I was like, now you have my interest. Is it the jacket that he wore at the Creatures press conference? Well, which jacket is it? Does mm-hmm. it have coattails? Right. What, what does it have stars on it? What does it look like? Yep. You know, I don't know. Well, I'm one of those but people, it, as many people probably can tell about me, is I'm one who can dig up a lot of stuff. I've obviously found a lot of people for podcasts. I've dug up a lot of stuff. So I did my own digging on this. And once again, I did find some eyewitness people. I, I, I forwarded you some of that. And some were kind of fuzzy. Some weren't sure what they were wearing. Some think it was the right. creature. Some guy thought he had a jacket. But I also found the Bismarck newspaper. The Bismarck awesome. newspaper had no photos, which I thought was highly unusual. First show of the wow. tour in some little small area, no pictures. There's <laughs> there's words, but there's no pictures. So and then I've, I've scoured the Facebook groups. There's shitloads of Creatures of the Night pictures. And I'm always going through just to see, like, come on, man. There's, like, a million Creatures pictures. There's got to be right. one that's a little bit off. Now, once again, I'm totally on board with everybody saying I don't buy that anybody wore a Love Gun costume. But what I buy is they, based on my own past experiences, they probably carried the spandex layer of their suit in their suitcase, I would assume. And then all the other stuff right. were embellishments that were like your armor and your armbands and all this other shit. Exactly. Bounce. The cops, exactly. So exactly. that stuff could have been, like they said, Paul could have wore the Peter Chris bands. Uh, 
Eric yep. could have wore Ace Freely's suit, you know, like they did in that one photo shoot. So that's what that's I think exactly you probably what got. I was getting at. Yeah. And that, and I'll, I'm going to be honest with you. When I had Paul one-on-one, I was scrambling on my phone to try to find a picture of that and say, like this, like this. Is, right. this, is this what you guys wore? Is this what you guys wore? He would have probably just said, here, take your picture and beat it, you know, that, yeah. you know that kind of thing. But I, 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 it's amazing, too, when you say that you dug up an article. Because usually press is allowed to come in, right? Stay for the photograph, the first two or three songs, and then they have to go. Yep. The fact that there's no pictures is unbelievable. I just it's, and I know someone had to have taken a picture. Someone had. To. Someone had to because the night. next night or or the upside the next date, they were wearing creatures costumes. Right. Yep. Which was I think a day after or whatever or or the following day or whatnot. And I think it was like a, a I don't know. I think it was just. Yeah, I think it was a couple of days after or whatnot. But still, it's the point. You know, they said Denver had this massive snowstorm where the gear was stuck and what, and and basically they, they, they got it out, they flew it to home, and they were good for the second show. And I'm just like, you got it. I mean, they had tons of pictures for the second show. But I'm like, where the hell are the pictures for the first show? It's so crazy. And, you know, one other thing, too, that, it, yeah, one thing, too, that's interesting, and I don't, and don't quote me on this, and don't, I can't prove it, but one guy claimed that, you know, he was there, he bought the tour book, he got the button, he got the shirt to prove it. I'm pretty sure the tour book wasn't on sale the first night of the tour. Right. Almost positive it wasn't. That's what makes it so rare, because I don't think the tour book actually was added to the tour merchandise until maybe later in the year, or, or maybe, a few, maybe a few weeks into the tour. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't available the first night. Don't quote me on that, but mm-hmm. I, I don't think it was. No, I, I, that's so. probably right, yeah. You know what else I found, which which is which again, I'm always digging through photos, trying to find things, and uh, the picture, the photo shoot that we're talking about, the one which ultimately becomes like loudest band in the world. Um, oh, photo shoot. I love it. Yeah, I love it. But that whole pic, um, there, I believe Paul and Jean's hair is, is almost colored on. You ever seen these pictures? You know what I'm talking about? So yeah, yeah. The, there's this one picture I found, and I wish I could find it again. If I ever find it, and if I can find it before we release this, I'll put it in. But it's that picture where they're all standing in front of the drums, right? It's the four of them with their heads, kind of yeah. like it's almost like creatures, but it's by the in front of the drum set. And there's this thing. It's like a red grid on Paul's head. This is the real picture, and this must be how they figure out how to draw on the the fake hair. You ever seen? that um yes yes yes. so that always blew me away because i never i always thought his hair looked weird in that photo uh in that press photo because they use that they use that a lot for the creatures of the night advertisements for the tour Um, yeah you're talking about the the four of them where ace was still in the band right yes yep yep okay and they're all in front of you can see the drum set in the background yes yep okay now do you know who owns the coat the the actual color pictures of those no that's that session no loretta Eric oh, Sixer. didn't she just tweet that out the other day? I think. I think I snapshotted she it. Yes. She owns them. Yeah. She, she tried to sell some of those on eBay years ago. Some uh, some creatures outtakes. She wants ridiculous money for them, and okay. you know, again, it thing is worth what you're willing to pay. Right. Uh, to me, I look at pictures. Once they're out there, they're out there. Uh, you know, they're really. You know what I mean? If yeah. someone. You know, copies and pastes a picture, and they go print it at uh, Walgreens or whatever. They've got a copy of it, but they don't have the original. It's kind of like the animalize. You know, the back of the album cover. Mm-hmm. The, the, okay, so I own the original pictures of that. Really, the animalize. Oh, oh yeah, and they, they've never been seen. Uh, and it's interesting to see how they put it together. 
And this came straight from backstage auctions years ago. I'm surprised no one ever scooped them to, you know, and put them on online. And uh, to this day, I've never seen them online. Mm-hmm. But cool. yeah, it, it, again, Loretta was Loretta was out there for a long time. She had she had shots of Vinny and Eric. I have never seen. It. But again, do I want to spend five or five hundred or seven hundred dollars <laughs> no. on two pictures? No, I'm I'm no. good. No, I'm good. But the color stuff, you know that that one shot is 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 amazing. And I I hate the fact that it's only in black and white. Yeah. Yep. But she has the color version of it. How about those goofy ones of it? He saved everything. How about that one picture that's really goofy? It's from the same shot, and Gene's got his arm up in the air, and he's looking like in a weird direction. It's like he's hailing the sky. You know what I'm talking about? It's yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's so cool, though. It's cool. There's some great shots. I'm creatures, I'm telling you, man. Those guys are really photogenic. I mean, they really oh, yeah. are, and I just I love that era. I and mean, There's so much about it. And, you know, every time you tweet something, creatures, you, you get response. You know, you get a response on uh, you know from people that yeah. you know it, it's insane. People really, really, really like it. Well, Bob, man, it was another great conversation. It was cool that we got yeah. to kind of get some more insight on that whole voice swap on Phantom, uh, this creatures thing. You know what? We'll all keep pressing. Maybe now with this, maybe this podcast can bring awareness. Maybe this is this is going to be our cause. Maybe we'll find people at the from the Bismarck show. They got a picture hiding out in some scrapbook. You never know, man. Maybe we'll uncover. My something. God, I hope so. Someone comes out of the woodwork and says I was there, and I actually took pictures from the front row. God Almighty, I would love to see it. <laughs> I, I can, I can leave, I can leave this earth happy, Mike. Always a pleasure talking with you, man. It's always fun, likewise, to nerd out on the kiss stuff. Yep, absolutely, Mike. Uh, if you ever need me again, let me know. You don't even have to send me a Burger King card this time. <laughs> Maybe we can but upgrade it to, uh, you know, Subway. <laughs> Subway would be great. I love cheap meat. <laughs> All right, brother. Have a good night, Bob. Thanks. All right, you too, Mike. Yep, talk to you later. Well, that episode was a lot of fun. I really appreciate the help from Bob, Wes, and the insight from Michael Bell. Well, keep your eye open. There's going to be a new cool episode of the 80s Glam Metal Cast. It's going to be all about a plot idea that I have for KISS, Return of the Phantom. So we heard Bob talking that they were thinking about doing another movie, and then I kind of got this crazy idea. What if I came up with a plot for it? So what I'll do is I'll read my plot, and I'll insert some sound effects and musical pieces, and uh, it'll be a good time. See you later. Rock on!